0: How you doing, this is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to this week's Tech Radio with all the latest in tech around Ireland and across the world. Thank you for downloading from our website at techcentral.ie using your favourite podcast app on your smartphone or indeed listening on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. This is our show for the week ending Friday the 19th of June from Midsummer's already, can you believe it? And joining me as ever is Niall Kitson at Tech Central HQ. Niall, you've been off uh, out and about this weekend uh, talking to some Somebody extremely interesting about um, innovation and, and uh, design and entrepreneurship when we get to that uh, we were also talking to uh, games journalists about the big E3 conference which of course happened during the week and we get all the uh, details of the main presentations and announcements but what's the big story that's occupying, my, uh, occupying your mind at this tail end of the week
2: uh, yeah, it's a story that that is broken um, just really this morning. I suppose its effects will be felt for quite a while to come. And it's one of these sort of chicken and egg stories that is going to catch up to a lot of companies uh, over the next few months. Now, what is the most successful, we'll call it, hospitality company in the world at the moment?
0: Uh, uh, oh, well, uh, because it's this show, I'm going to guess uh, Airbnb is something. Airbnb. I use. Yeah, I use it so all the time.
2: Yeah. And you're, you're actually right. It is the world's most successful hospitality company uh, mm-hmm. at the moment. But what's unique about Airbnb?
0: Ooh, what's unique about it uh, well what I like about it is that I am able to stay in people's homes and it's uh, I find it more personal and I also find uh, the price a hell of a lot better uh, than staying in a
2: hotel yeah and also they don't own any hotels They they are an intermediary not between people and companies but between people and people okay Right, so unlike, you know, your worlds, your booking.com, uh, which is a convenience for, for companies and people looking for companies, Airbnb is a way for people to find people who have a room vacancy. Right? All right, okay. Now, similarly, uh, in that same vein, what is the most successful taxi company in the world at the moment? Or, sorry transportation company in the world at
0: the moment <laughs> uh, I, I, I'll go with Uber is that yeah, I, don't know if it's, I don't know if it's the most successful but it's certainly the most controversial
2: yeah well based on the unfortunate distinction I made there yes Uber is the most successful transportation company in the world at the moment and in the same way that Airbnb doesn't own any property or anything like that Uber is so successful because it doesn't own any taxis cars Yes, but taxis. Um, However... Of course, uh,
0: yes, they're not a taxi company. Yeah, I forgot that distinction.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Ah, Whoops. But that that distinction might be coming to an abrupt end because uh, uh, a case in California brought by a former Uber driver um, ended up in Uber actually having to shell out some costs in back holiday pay because the the uh, court ruled that this person wasn't a contractor, which is sort of the status that Uber puts on its drivers, but an actual employee of the company and this follows on from a similar decision made in Miami earlier this year, where People are sort of complaining about their treatment to Uber while they were Uber drivers. Uber bring up the defense that look we're not an employer we're a platform. you know we work on software to make it convenient for drivers to find passengers in the same way that Airbnb makes it easier for travelers to find people with spare rooms uh, so uh, the courts actually said no you." had a driver who was exclusively using your platform, abiding by your rules, uh, therefore they are an employee, you owe them X. Now, it wasn't a tremendous amount of money involved, but the legal precedent is so powerful. Uh, And I know I'm drawing a very tight parallel with Airbnb, but only because Airbnb operates on what you might call a, a vaguely similar mindset. Uh, and it also makes you wonder about other companies that use the defence of, you know, we're not employing people, we're using a platform. Uh, therefore, we can't be liable for what people do with our platform.
0: Well, I, ha- I had one of those, um, uh, an example with a, a holiday website that, mm-hmm. like a platform, very similar to Airbnb, it will connect you to people who own holiday apartments around the world. And we went to one of these and it was an utter kip. All right. Uh, And we elected not to stay there, um, and we've found something else last minute, but I had absolutely no comeback at all uh, with the website that we booked it through. And I kicked up hell with them, and that was their answer. Well, we're a platform. It's nothing to do with us. We only connect you with other people.
2: Yeah. You know, the level of culpability there, uh, the level, you know, it's basically the point at which a company stops trying to be... uh, sort of a proper company and develops this adolescent, we don't have to deal with actual responsibility kind of mentality. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It's like, you know, we don't have to deal with the consequences of the technology we developed. We just developed the technology. And what what people do with it is, is their own business, nothing to do with us whatsoever. Even though we might lay the groundwork for a person to use our software better, or, you know, we might ask people to abide by certain rules when using our software. But if anything goes wrong, that's nothing to do with us.
0: So you So even though this uh, kind of Uber thing and it's it's really kind of a an employee-employer, or are they uh, in those roles kind of a dispute? What you're looking at is really the responsibility that, that people like Uber, like Airbnb, like these websites that you'll book holiday accommodation through. You know, Amazon would be another one. I had a great one with Amazon recently, where I bought one uh, 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 something from people who sell products on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the only delivery that I was able to do was was uh, extortionate, and it was down to Amazon, and I tried to comment it on my review, and I wasn't allowed. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> da, 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 da. All
0: this kind of stuff, I, but I'm thinking—I uh, uh I mean—discussion forums. Uh, even it, it, it could lead into that kind of stuff because you see, we've seen that uh, with recent news stories where you know a certain person is in the news uh, and, and trying to stop things being said about them. And we saw not only kind of media organizations but websites and, uh, and news apps and everything closing down their comment section because they didn't want people uh, discussing on it.
2: Yeah, well, there's always been an element of commercial sensitivity when it comes to moderating comments or moderating anything where the general public gets involved. You know, like on one level, very often you will click into a news article and you will read the headline and you'll read the comments hmm. because the headline sets up the story and the comments is really where the debate happens. You know, it's where the real meat and potatoes is these days. Uh, however, unless you've got very good moderation of those comments, it could land you into a world of hurt with commercial interests, for example. If uh, somebody says something that really annoys an advertiser or is libelous or what, whatever. You know, you you really need good moderation. But, you know, the comments really add value to the website. And you can't have newspapers like The Guardian go, well, you know, we've brought in Discuss or Live Fire or we have our own comments discussion board, but we're not really liable for what's said on it. No, they absolutely are and they know it. So that's why you've got very strong moderation. So
0: we're going to find out then with this Uber case then, I suppose, you know, kind of Uber, I suppose, are playing it down as an isolated incident and uh, they're going to appeal the decision. But if the mm. decision is upheld on appeal, it will mean that all those kind of websites and information sources and and connecting companies and platforms, or whatever it is, will have to be a lot more responsible about who they connect with who, which will be interesting. <sighs> Let me uh, move on to, um, I I, I, I actually kind of want to get into the uh, E3 because that was was the other really, really big story of the week. And you remember Jamie McCormack. I do indeed. Who's been on the show before and is a games journalist and eats, breathes, lives games, knows everything there is to do about it. So while E3 was going on, uh, I got him on Skype and I asked him about the main presentations and the announcements and what was making news, starting with Microsoft.
1: So Microsoft had, uh, as is traditional at like this time of year, a rather big showcase event. Um, so there's a couple of interesting things that they brought up. I think one thing that a lot of people would be very happy to hear about is the backwards compatibility. Oh, yeah. With the 360 games. You know, there's a huge amount of people. Like, I know myself, like, I have a stack of games here that I've said I'm not upgrading my Xbox to an Xbox One until I, I beat them. So now I can actually upgrade and clear through them on that. So, you know, that might be a reason for me to actually upgrade. Um, They have a new controller, loads of stuff about uh, you know, co-op mode and Halo 5, so that's obviously going to be really big. Um, There's a new game called ReCore, uh, which is made by the guys who made Mega Man. You know, the little jumpy shooting game? Yeah, Uh, They're describing that as somewhere between Star Wars and Wally. So it'll be interesting to see if that comes up. Um, I'm a big fan of the Forza Motorsport series. They've... uh, forza motorsport six footage yeah which is gorgeous as you'd expect and um, they've also introduced a new thing which is uh you know with steam they have the early access yes so you can kind of buy the game and then play the thing they're actually introducing that to xbox one now as well which is very big and um, so basically developers can get their game out there get people playing them and then you know make the game a bit better so it'll be interesting to see how that comes out Um, and i suppose the 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 biggest thing for most people is i'm sure you've heard of a a little game that some children like called minecraft and actually not children plenty of adults who (laughs) like it as well um you know so i think if you're looking for a good excuse to buy a hololens the fact that minecraft has come to hololens would be a very good reason for people to actually invest in the hardware um you know a lot of these peripherals are
0: uh, well there's no, there's no point in buying them case. if there isn't a good game to play on them is there You know.
1: yeah and I mean e- even if you look at the Oculus Rift like their announcement was not a release date or anything like that just that you're going to be able to have multiplayer games in Oculus Rift now are you a Red Dwarf fan? Uh, th- th- not me no well Red Dwarf they have this uh, you know better than life load of people sitting down hooked up to tubes and uh, you know sitting in a room playing a game together so I think that's probably the first major step towards
0: that <laughs> we we'll, uh, we we'll wait and see um, tell me about uh, Sony now they had a couple of uh, a very interesting if a little bit left of field announcements to make as well
1: um, so yeah so Sony also again had a very big show um, there's one particular game that they kind of launched the, the show with which is uh, a game called The Last Guardian now the guys who made this made games called Shadow of Colossus and before that Ico these are beautiful games very weird and very abstract, but in this game here, you, you, basically the environment is: there's a little kid who is running around this kind of crumbling ruin, and then you have this big giant bird dog thing that's behind it, and you control, you know, you navigate through, and then you get the bird dog to come in and fill in some of the gaps, and you know, you've got to make jumps, and he catches you. So that, I think that would be a very interesting game. Um, there is also, you know, a new Hitman game. Street Fighter Five is going to be an exclusive on the PS4. Uh, uh-huh. So you know, there's been a couple of announcements in relation to that, um, but uh, I'm sure you're familiar as well with Little Big Planet. So
0: the developer oh, behind, them, yeah, I love the- I love Little Big Planet. That was a, where you could make your own your own world essentially.
1: Yeah, so that's like myself, and my wife are going to be getting a PS4 shortly to be able to play Little Big Planet three. Um, but the developer behind that has made a, a game called Dreams, and um, it is. Not really a game, from what I can see, although it looks like a game creation tool that you can then play through. But it's kind of like a surreal thing. They're describing it as a surreal art and animation studio uh, that you use the PlayStation controller and then you can share the results with your friends. So I had a look at the trailer. It's, there's like a guy playing piano with some beautiful music um, going through different types of games that people can make. And, you know, there were shooters, there was kind of like stompy games. So I think that kind of builds certainly on what they do at Little Big Planet, which is, you know, Make a game, but then let your players make the games that they want. Now. Um, there's an expansion for Destiny. Um, and I uh, suppose probably one of the most interesting things for me is uh, there's a game called Shenmue. Uh, it started off on the Dreamcast many years ago uh, on, on that console. And it was, you know, it's a very beautiful version of, of Japan. And, you know, you're going around, there's an adventure game, you do lots of different things. Uh, Now, they announced that they were doing a Kickstarter for Shenmue 3 to make them on PS3 and, uh, sorry, PS4 and PC.
0: When did they Um, make that announcement, Jamie? Because I I believe they were looking for like $2 million, which is a, a colossal amount of money to try and raise on the internet.
1: Yeah, I think they did it yesterday, and I'm just looking here, and they have already got 31,242 backers who've pledged nearly $2.5 <laughs> with 31 days to go, and I'm proud to pledge $29 to that myself. But, you know, like that's you know, they have stretch goals and all that that they want to be able to make a lot more in the game. Uh, I think they're going to well hit that then as well. Um, nope, nope, the nope. new Final Fantasy as well, they're kind of remaking Final Fantasy VII, which is, I guess, probably the seminal... RPG on uh, the PlayStation 1 originally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there wasn't really much about Morpheus other than the fact that you can play with other people with it as well.
0: Grant, let me move on to the, uh, uh, I suppose, the third of the, uh, uh, the big players, pardon the pun, uh, Nintendo. What, what do they have to announce at E3?
1: Um, now, Nintendo have been very fort in terms of what they're not going to be talking about. So they weren't going to be showing off the new NX console that they're talking about. They weren't going to be talking about their mobile games. They weren't going to be showing Zelda, which is what everyone wanted. Um, they have put out a new trailer for Zelda. Uh, I'm sure there'll be another couple of extra things there as well. Um, but the big thing is like Star Fox, which was really the game that kind of drove uh, the Super Nintendo. Um, you know, That was the one that had the special chip in it to be able to let it have polygons. Um, I've had a look at the trailer for that there. That looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. And that's coming out as well for Christmas this year.
0: Cool. And then on the, uh, of, of all the others, I suppose, really, uh, the other big headlines, Fallout 4, we have a release date for that, yeah?
1: Yeah. And you're talking to a big Fallout fan, and my wife is as well. So we're both looking forward to that game. Uh, they, it's going to be out in November, so it'll be out in time for Christmas. Uh, it looks like it's going to be based in and around Boston. Um they have a lot of scenery and things like that. So, you know, you're going to be able to do a huge amount now. Uh, they're adding in a lot of extra functionality into the game as well. Um, and, you know, it's going to be huge. It'll be beautiful. You're going to be able to slow down time, shoot things, you know, have all the decisions there as well. But one of the surprise things that they did during their presentation, as uh, was watching the showcase, is they've actually announced that on the iPads, uh, just while people are waiting, I guess, and also to, you know, I'm sure help a couple of pre-orders. They put out a game called uh, Fallout Shelters on iPad. Wow. Uh, and they basically said it's out now today after the show. So that was yesterday. So it'll be out now on iPad and they're going to be rolling it out across the other ones there. So, uh, you know, the kind of comical style, you know, yeah. with the, the little screens with all the little dudes in the blue. And you're basically going to be controlling from the side on. Uh, a Fallout shelter, you know, getting people to do different jobs, holding off raiders, you know, you can, you have to repopulate the thing as well. So there's a bit of romance in there, although it'd be quite ton- tongue-in-cheek from what I can see. <laughs> you know, you get two people, you meet them, they go off in behind a little thing, and there's hearts. <laughs> uh, and also, like, in Fallout 4, they've mentioned that, you know, you have you, two characters. Uh, it starts in the 50s, you know, yeah. back in time before the nukes fell um and you know you start off with a male character a female character and then at some point during the game whatever characters you make creates a baby (laughs) and that's decided how that baby will will depend on how you make your
0: characters (laughs) oh god all right listen finally uh jamie tell me about south park
1: south park so uh is a very big fan of the sick of truth uh which was an rpg they released um I haven't seen too much of it, but there's an RPG on the way, um, which I'm sure will be very, very, very big for a lot of fans. Um, South Park games used to be terrible, um, but basically since South Park took them in-house, they brought out some fantastic little games. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to it.
0: Excellent. Brilliant run through all the headlines from E3 this year. Jamie McCormick, thank you very much. Great. Thank you very much.
1: This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie.
0: Now, Niall, let's get on to the uh, interview that uh, you did earlier on during the week out in UCD, where they're kind of they're they're teaching not necessarily a subject and hard facts, but actually teaching people how to use their brains in what sense? Uh.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, in theory, that's what university does uh, from the get-go. But uh, I went and I met Dr. Bruce Martin at the uh, Graduate School of Business, the Michael Smurf at Graduate School of Business out in Kerrysport Avenue mm. in Blackrock. And what he's teaching at the moment is he's put together a master's course in innovation, entrepreneurship and design. And he doesn't really mean those things in necessarily the literal sense, but, um, he's looking at things like what makes a really good entrepreneur different from being a really good manager of a business? What is the difference between a good manager and a good entrepreneur? How do you become the person that's great at seeing the big picture like a Steve Jobs or a Bill Gates or an Elon Musk or one of these guys, and just somebody that has a small business with one idea and they get very good at managing it. So what's the difference between those two kinds of thinking? And if we can find that out, can we get regular people, like yourself, myself, to start thinking more like an Elon Musk?
3: Yes, that's correct. And if you're looking at the title of that course specifically, um, the design aspect really relates more to design thinking than to, say, designing a specific product. Although that would come into play. Um, design thinking really takes is an approach to creating essentially anything, but in our case, imagine products or services or new companies, new ventures, the business models that go with them, um, um, and building it from uh, an understanding of and a focus on and an empathy for the customer. So everything is built around really understanding what the sort of lived experience is of some product currently that could be improved or uh, some issue that people deal with in day-to-day life or in business, and really understanding the background to that, and then iteratively and creatively building prototypes and testing them with people to really understand how your best meeting needs.
2: So I suppose when people um, talk about innovation uh, specifically, they're thinking, wow, I've seen a, a problem out there. I've got a great idea to solve it, but you know what, I'm, I'd be hopeless with accounts or management or any of the business end of it. You know, I, I wouldn't be self-sufficient that way. That's a completely alien style of thinking. I would much rather it be just the ideas guy with my notebook or my CAD program or, or what have you. Uh, but it is actually possible to codify what it is to think like an entrepreneur.
3: Yes, very much so. You know. uh, we've moved quite a bit forward from the days when we thought entrepreneurs were just special creatures that were born in a certain, you know, with a certain sort of mindset and couldn't keep a regular job. Um, and we now better understand that there's a set of processes and actually uh, what we call an entrepreneurial logic or an effectual logic. That we're using when we're increasing the chances of being successful in highly uncertain in creating something in highly uncertain environments. And if you think back, the best way to understand that is to contrast it with what we think of as a, a manager is doing in a traditional sense. A manager would be, for instance, uh, would would need competencies in organizing and controlling and monitoring and planning and those types of things. And those are valuable for all sorts of things when you're running a business, especially when you're running a business, but even near in the startup phase. But, they, it, but that set of words I just used didn't include things like exploring or imagining or discovering or creating or validating. Those are words that don't really come into play in a managerial role. And yet, hopefully, when you just hear them, you think, well, of course, they're going to come into play in a creating a business or creating anything sort of role and so the question is what you know how do we get at those things and what do we develop from those things and you know we can look to good scholars and good practitioners in business and in entrepreneurship and in psychology to understand those differences and we look to someone like Roger Martin who helps us to see what happens to businesses over time and why so many uh, businesses that have great ideas and are truly innovative to start end up having problems as they go on. And he gets us to look at the whole process of creating a business and then managing it as a sort of knowledge funnel, where you start at the top where everything's big and wide open and sort of blurry and it's some world of mysteries and you're looking for the kinds of problems that you think you could solve, that you could actually do, deal with. And you might find something you think you can deal with and you come up with an idea for dealing with it and you start to do something with it and you have what you might call a heuristic, a rule of thumb or a rough idea. And once you start to test that and you could actually get it into the market and it gets some traction, then everything is focused on doing that repeatedly, uh, you know, with high precision, reliably, and that's what he would call the algorithm stage. And the problem with many companies is that you get to that algorithm stage and you stay there and you're stuck there. You keep doing things better and better, which is wonderful. That's good for society. Making the same products, you know, less expensively with higher quality is all valuable, But we do need things change. The environment changes, our needs change. And so businesses have to go back up to the top of that funnel and that messy area and find what's really the problem today and what what other problems can be solved or should be solved.
2: Well, that can be um, incredibly difficult for companies to do. I'd taken the example of uh, McDonald's, which uh, we spoke about earlier, uh, a company that found what they were good at, iterated upon it endlessly, And yet when it comes to innovating, like revising their menu, for example, they seem to be stuck in this rut where they go, but this is what we're actually really good at. Why would we leave that behind? Almost the same way that if you would look at what Microsoft have done with Windows 10, they're like, why would we... Not charge for Windows Ten. This is what we're really good at. This is where a lot of our revenue comes from. So, what kind of barriers to this sort of mindset? Sort of what? What barriers to freeing companies from this sort of mindset? Freeing individuals from this sort of mindset? uh, Are you coming across?
3: Well, so a a key distinction to make is the idea of when you need to get back up into that top of the funnel, you need to find what. Uh, problems aren't being solved today that you could be good at solving using your current skill sets. You need to use a different form of logic. So the logic that makes you great at driving that algorithm, that making the same product really efficiently, you know, well-delivered, quickly delivered in the right place for your customers is not the same logic that makes you good at discovering something new and creating the best solution to that new problem that you've identified. And again, we go to good scholars in the, you know, in the field, Sarah Sarasvati, for example, gave us an understanding of the entrepreneurial logic or effectual logic as being much different than causal logic. And causal logic is essentially we can think of what you do as a manager. You've got to meet certain plans, you've got to set a forecast or a plan and then put the means in place to, you know, to achieve that. Effectual logic essentially turns everything backwards and says you start with a set of means and you do with those means... Um, what you can, and you start to learn from that, without a, necessarily an end, a specific end goal, but only a general interest in an area. So, if you're a company, it would be, well, what field are we in, and what are our general, you know, uh, competencies? And now I want to work in that area, building on the means that I have. It's probably easier to look at in the context of an entrepreneur, of saying, okay, what knowledge do I have? I have an interest in this general area. What knowledge do I have? What people do I know that also work in an area in terms of a specific field, say? And what can I do to start something in an area? And then you start to build from there.
2: One of the... uh... Interesting parts of this course at the MSC in Innovation, Entrepreneurship and Design is is that it is of particular interest to uh, people doing uh, research in STEM at the moment or have done a a science degree. What do you see as the attraction for STEM graduates or people working in research at the moment for a course like this?
3: Well, the idea is to help uh, STEM graduates who are not pursuing a a research career with their STEM background, who don't want to, to put that to use is that we give them the ability to become leaders in the innovation entrepreneurship sphere, actually creating new lines of business inside a company or creating new standalone ventures. One of the distinctions of the program is that you get uh, all of the academic rigor of a traditional master's with the same kind of quality of academic training and theories and concepts understanding, underlaid with a really strong foundation of uh, a practicum where you actually create new lines of business or a new standalone venture. And, and importantly, that practicum is not something where we say, here's the concept and ideas and now go and figure it out. Um, it's supported with an entrepreneur in residence. It's actually working with student teams as they're developing their ideas over that 20-month period. It's, um, we facilitate interaction with uh, the Science Foundation Ireland centres and our own UCD uh, STEM faculty, so people who are kind of leading researchers or researchers at the leading edge of these various fields. For instance, someone with an ICT background or working in digital space might have an interest in big data. We'd be facilitating them, identifying all the different kinds of research that's happening in the Insight Center, uh, uh, which is the SFI Center for Big Data. Analysis right now, which is based both here in UCD, but also in uh, in the other universities, other key universities and uh, institutes in Ireland, and facilitating them actually linking up with researchers and with you know, kind of latest technology in those areas. And then lastly, it's linked with Nova UCD, which is our leading incubator of technology-based businesses, who would be providing reviews throughout the whole practicum session. So you get sort of the latest understanding of from people who are running accelerator centers and incubators for knowledge-based business. So essentially, students are earning a degree or a master's degree with the Smurfit title, which by itself has some good legitimacy, and they're actually running through something that's very much like an incubator with some of the best talent in STEM fields that you could find in this area.
2: Great. Thank you, Dr. Martin.
0: And that was Niall Kitson talking to Dr. Bruce Martin out in UCD. And that wraps up our tech radio show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can get hourly updates on tech news along with daily newsletters from techcentral.ie as well as our weekly tech radio show here online and every Friday at 6 p.m. on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. So next week, from myself, Dusty, and from Niall at Tech Central HQ, thanks for listening. Take care.